do 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 do. There we go. My name's Todd. And this is Kathy. Welcome back to yet another episode of Zen Parenting Radio. This is episode number 331. Correct. Can you tell I have granola in my mouth? Yes. Todd needs to chew. Sorry about that. Um, Why listen to Zen Parenting Radio? Because you'll feel outstanding. And for goodness sakes, who doesn't want to feel outstanding? Even people who doing bad things probably want to feel outstanding. People who don't want to feel outstanding still want to feel outstanding. Yeah, even those people. Well, because usually when you don't want to feel outstanding, it's when you don't want anyone to cheer you up and you just want the misery loves company situation. Yeah. But the truth is, underneath all that misery, yeah. Go a few layers there's below. a desire. Always remember our motto, the best predictor of a child's well-being is a parent's self-understanding. And um, this is episode number 331. And today we're going to be talking about what ifs. Correct. You have some resources from... Uh, Our hometown paper. Chicago Tribune. Correct. I remember a newspaper. I read the newspaper on Sunday. It's some of my favorite time. Sunday, Sunday, Sunday. and I like to not be busy on Sunday And morning. we're going to play a clip from last night's Emmys. Correct. We're going to talk about the Emmys a little bit. And we do have a listener's question that hopefully we'll get to. But first, uh, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, our first partner, Dr. Kelly, chirotree.com. She uh, fixes me and my whole family twice a month. So check her out. I'm going tomorrow. So are you. Did you know that? I did not We know have that. an appointment. So okay, good. I did not mention Can't that to wait. you. So a few what ifs here. What if you were going to the Screenagers movie yeah. next week? And I'll answer for them. They would be better people as a result. I Well, more informed. That's for sure. You know, we had uh, Devorah uh, on last week who wrote the book ScreenWise, which was all about, you know, ra- raising um, our children in a digital age. And she recommended the movie. She said, you know, it's a very ambitious movie because there's a lot of uh, a lot of information being given to us about brains and socialization and relationships, she said, but it's valuable in that it creates a conversation, which is exactly why Todd and I chose this documentary. Conversations. Conversa- we got to open the, it's not about solving the problem in one day. It's about opening the conversation. That is next Monday, September 26th. Go to zenparentingradio.com, click events for tickets. We also have the Let's Get Real conference and the early bird tickets only last until the 30th of September, which is a week from Friday. Yeah. And so I know that I've run into many of you around town and other places and at Soul Love Fest this weekend who are saying, oh, yes, I'm coming. And I just really encourage you to get your tickets when they're this cheap. Because it's not going to get any cheaper. Right. They're going up in like a week and a half. So just get it done. Um, make it – it's an investment in yourself. And the speakers, Rob Bell, um, Ali Smith, Rosalind Wiseman, they will not disappoint. You no. will be very happy that you were present for that experience. I also am going to share one more thing, Todd, sure. that may surprise you. but. Okay. I um, have been doing some, I've been running a private practice and doing some individual work with people. And I, one part of my practice is supporting other coaches and therapists. And I actually have about three sessions left until until the end of this year. And if anybody is a therapist or a coach and they want to talk about their practice, enhance their practice, um, do something special, or just run through some kind of supervision. Mm-hmm. That's what I used to have a supervisor that I love to work with. Um, email us at comments at zimparentinradio.com, and I can send you my schedule. Again, there's not a lot. Um, what but if somebody's not a therapist and wants to... Well, I think that part is full. If You can send me... Um, you can still comment and say, I'm interested in this, and I'll definitely be in touch with you. Uh, but those are the spots These that I have These slots open. are open for therapists. And for coaches. And if somebody is not a therapist, there may or may not be 
Correct. Openings. Correct. But I'm just wanted to focus in on my supervision practice because I've never shared. Oh, cool. Um, that on the show that cool. I do that. All right. Sweet. Okay. All right. Um, so what are we talking about? We are talking about what if. I want to start with Heidi Stevens' um, article from this Sunday. Again, the Tribune. You guys read the Tribune on Sunday? You like the Tribune. You, you used to like the Sun Times. I read the Sunday paper when the White Sox are doing well. Got it. But otherwise, there's no paper for you. No. Why read a paper if the White Sox stink? Political news, no. social news, no. lifestyle news. No. Okay. Yeah, just focus on that. Well, this it's is- been a tough 10 years. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> there have been a lot of unread 2005, papers. 2005, yes. they won the World Series. Um, well, Heidi Stevens writes uh, the Balancing Act column in the lifestyle section, and she wrote something that I thought was really helpful and interesting. Um, she was talking about uh, a phrase that she uses now whenever her child says something to her in the form of a complaint. For example, they were going to a water park, okay? And her What is there to complain about going to a water park? <laughs> Being surrounded by all the Band-Aids in the water. The floating Band-Aids? The floating Band-Aid problem. It sounds like parts. either a song or a group or a movie. The f- Revenge of the Floating Band-Aids. There are just too many around. And it's just indicative of what else is around that yeah, we can't nothing, see. Nothing but cleanliness. That's purity. Oh, I just don't know. And what we're talking about is the Lazy River in Wisconsin Dells where to water park. And Kathy saw too many floating Band-Aids in the water. That was just a weekend that just, just threw me over the edge because there's just so many people there that weekend. Yeah, they like cluster 2,000 people in a space that is good for a thousand people. And then in the hot tub, there were like so many bodies in the hot tub and the hot tub is, is hot. Yeah. So it's not water that's easy to clean. Mm -hmm. I just don't understand how we don't all get sick, but I guess I should be thankful rather than question it. But anyway, these are just thoughts that go through my head. Can I play a quick uh, clip to that end? You, you may. Murphy. You know, I heard that, um, you know, everybody would love to see him come back and do stand up. Sure. And I heard a quote, which was very honest and vulnerable. And I think he said something to the effect of, there's no way I would be able to meet everybody's expectations. Absolutely not. And that has not because he doesn't have talent and skill and gifts, but because he's not that person anymore. Yeah. He has been uh, elevated to this icon status because he came on as a 20-some-year-old. Right. And I don't know. I thought that was honest, but at the same time kind of, I was going to say wimpy. Like, how do you know I, until I you try? All. If somebody said to me, come back and do what you did when you were 19 or 20 and do it to the way that you did it at 19 or 20 with that youthful energy mm. and with that really sharp dialogue, yeah. I'm not that person anymore. Yeah. And so when we ask, and he's actually right now starring in a movie that looks really lovely. Oh, really? Um, yeah. And it's a drama. It's mm. like 
It's it. You know, that's who he is now. Yeah. Like we have to let people be free, yeah. and also appreciate that we can still listen to that and watch Raw and watch things that Eddie Murphy used to do. Um, he actually was on. Gosh, what was he on the other night? I think it was Jimmy Kimmel, and he did a great impersonation of Tracy Morgan. Mm-hmm. Um, and. not such a bad thing when his girl wants to party all the time well it can be if she's out more than he is oh i guess that's true you know i will say that one thing that i hold very dear is one of my i need to fall asleep movies is coming to america yeah and i can watch that movie over and over and over again and it's eddie murphy in arsenio hall Uh, many of you may have seen it but it's one of those movies there's some movies i don't like to fall asleep to because there's too much stress or right you know you know i need to look at it instead of close my eyes but coming to america is sugar ray robinson the greatest fighter ever lived oh come on man what about joe lewis the blonde bomber now that was a great boxer you damn right i suppose nobody in here ever heard of cassius clay you got a point. Cassie Clay was a bad... Yeah, hey, I ain't saying Clay ain't bad. I'm just saying I stopped liking Cassie Clay once you changed the name to Muhammad Ali. What kind of that? Wait a second. Wait a second. A man has the right to change his name to whatever he wants to change it to. And if a man wants to be called Muhammad Ali, God damn it, this is a free country. You should respect his wishes and call the man Muhammad Ali. His mama named Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. Mm-hmm. That's right. I say Clay. And you know who's getting his haircut? Uh, gosh, I do, I do, I do. Who is it? No, who is it? Cuba. It, that's. I was gonna say that. I was gonna say Cuba. Who was on the Emmys last night? By the way. Okay. Can I get back to Heidi's article here? Sure. They're going to a water park. This is where we went off the rails. <laughs> and her son, he doesn't want to go. And he says to her, "I don't want to go. It's a stupid place." Mm. It's all June's friends who are going to be there. That's a family member that's going to be there. And they're going to ignore me. Hmm. So, okay, it's not going to be fun. That's like his last quote. So if you are a parent who has put down some money on this trip and you don't really necessarily love the water park, but you're doing it for your kids, and then all of this information is being thrown at you about that they not only don't appreciate it, but they don't want to go in the first place. Right. That can throw parents, all of us, into being really offended. Very challenging situation from a parenting perspective. It is. You know, I that's actually a common thing I hear from parents is how do I get my kids to be more grateful for what I do? Mm. We again that's a thing where we get to stay the same and they need to change. Yeah. What Heidi says in this article that is really powerful that we can use in any situation is she figured out that really what he's doing is sharing his own concerns, but he's doing it in a very like uh this is this is my sentence. This is how I feel with no room for discussion. But she said, what if I put the words what if at the beginning of each of those sentences? What if I don't want to go? What if it's a stupid place? What if it's all June's friends? What if they all ignore me? If your child said that to you. We'd have a completely different conversation. Right? And then we would be like, okay, these are things we can deal with. And what that does, that opens up discussion or a space instead of fighting about it right let's delve into it a little bit deeper as opposed to just knowing for certain 
what's happening. And understanding that that's really what our children are doing. Right. Is because of their age and their lack of maturity and and their communication skills aren't quite as enhanced as an adults, they're really asking the question but they're saying it and what's the this what I'm looking for is what that kind of sentence is called where it's a sentence that's like a it's not an it's a sentence that is interrogative preposition. Oh my gosh, you're just going to make stuff up. It's just a statement, mm. okay? And they Oh, a declaration? That, thank you. That's no. the word I was looking for. I kept wanting to say demonstrative and I knew that wasn't right. No, I right. think demonstrative might be right too, but Well, demonstrative is a way that we communicate, right. but that's not the type but right. declarative sentence. He is right. declaring, "I will not have fun." I this will part. not have fun. Um June's friends are going to be there. I will be ignored. When really what he's saying is, "What if this happens? What do I do?" Because guess what happens in this article? They go and they have a good time, right? right? So there could have been all sorts of arguments beforehand. And then they go, they have a good time. And then, and and Heidi doesn't do this, but you know what a lot of parents would do afterwards? See, I told you so. See, I told you so. Exactly. And that creates more distance between you and your kid. Because then your kid's like, well, then I have to prove to you that I really didn't have that good of a time. Then it's a competition. Then it's just head to head budding. And a lot, when I've said this to parents, like, don't do the see, I told you so. Do you know what a lot of them have said to me? What? That's too hard. I have to. You mean, and what they mean by that is I don't have the ability, abil- not ability. They have the ability, but the awareness, I, I cannot let my ego get squashed. Well, my ego needs to make sure everybody knows that I did. This actually, right. I'll flip your words. They don't have the ability. They do have the awareness mm-hmm. and they're un- they're unwilling. They're unwilling exactly. to do it. So they're like, I know, just like that scene from Lost last night that mm-hmm. you were just telling me about this morning. Yeah. Just tell that story. Um, so Sawyer. Sawyer. This is not going to make sense to most, but I'll do my best. So Sawyer uh, was in a bar with a guy named uh, Christian, who is Jack's father. And you don't even need to know these people. It's Doesn't about matter. the essence of the conversation. So the essence of the conversation is that Sawyer had some really valuable information. That's not the part. It's oh. about Christian says. Oh, I, that part. Right. Got it, got it, got it. So... Um, uh, this one character screwed up really badly and his son uh, called, called him, him out. out on it. Yeah. And he said, right now, my son thinks that I hate him. And it's because he did this thing to kind of uh, call me out. Mm-hmm. And he's a, he's, a, he's surgeon. a surgeon. And he's like, I can pick up the phone right now and call my son up and say... Um, son, I'm proud of you. You did something that I didn't have the guts to do myself and you did what was right versus what was going to help me out. So Sawyer says to uh, Christian, the other character, well, why don't you just go ahead and do that? Why don't you go call him? And his answer was chilling because he says, because I'm weak. And it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same so thing. Thank you for that. I didn't know where you were going. Yeah, it it is that thought of I will not allow myself to be that vulnerable. Vulnerability. I will not demonstrate that in you know I will not demonstrate that we all make uh, challenging choices or decisions or that I made a mistake or that I was wrong and you were right. Whatever. We would much rather keep our mask on mm-hmm. than actually say. You yeah. know, this this is this is difficult, or right. or, or you're right, and really, th- this is the opposite thing where we can hold our words, yep. and instead of saying I was right, you can say we managed this together. Mm-hmm. That's you know, whenever something happens with the girls, and maybe I made the suggestion, and then they took it, and then they took ownership for it instead of giving me credit. Yeah, as a parent, a lot of times we want to be like, well, I should get the credit for that, but aren't we trying to teach our kids? 
to be self-reliant? Mm-hmm. Do I really want them to think that every good decision they've ever made was from me? Yeah. Or can I give them credit for doing it, allow them to integrate it, and then it's theirs? Isn't that what we're trying to pass on? Now, interesting, Todd, because with my children, I can do that. With people um, maybe that I'm working with or, or helping, I can do that. Sometimes that's harder with our peer group. Mm. We, you and I have been talking about that, keeping our egos in check yeah, when right. it comes to other people. Right. You know, because sometimes people will use something of ours or, um, you know, use a quote or whatever, and there is no recognition. Yeah. And that can be really difficult for me sometimes. More difficult than if your kid, if you knew something and you're, you just let your kid kind of own it. Yeah. And then I'm like, I want them to own it. Mm. But it's the work gets a little steeper. For you. And for me. Yeah. And a little more... Um, uh, it, it just takes it up a notch yeah. when I'm like, keep doing this, not just with your kids, not just with your you know friends, but with anybody. Mm-hmm. If somebody is, is learning something from this show, a book, whatever it may be, and they're bringing it out in the world into their own way, don't get in the way of that and think that that somehow needs to be you know, you need to get the validation for right. that. That is an instant response that yeah. I may have, but the work is... Just like being able to say to this kid or not say to this kid, you know, taking ownership is being able to have that shadow recognition, keep the shadow in front of me so I can see it, but not act on it. So let me go back to this what if idea. Yes. yes. So is this lady in this article, or are you saying that when when an example like this happens in our own lives with our own kids, are we asking them to reframe what they're saying. No, we're not so asking them so this is to do internal it. dialogue. Exactly. So example, another thing that Heidi says in this article is that her son, who's started playing sports, says things like, I'll never make a touchdown. I'll never be tall. I'll never lose a tooth. You know, how many kids buy kindergarten or first when they see their friends losing teeth? You know, they're like, I'm never going to lose it. And we get angry. What if, though, we instead put ourselves put the words what if at the beginning of those sentences. Think, Listen how different this is before you speak. Go ahead. What if I never make a touchdown? What if I never get tall? So this is an internal processing Correct. thing. This is not something that we're saying no, to our kids. No, I just want to be clear because some people might be receiving this the way I no, am. This is an internal process. Correct. This is for us, this is an empath this is a way to build empathy into the way we return their question. How we respond. Exactly. So we internally process this so we respond differently. Because really that's the truth of what they're saying. Is they really aren't they don't know, mm. you know, when they say I'll never lose a tooth. You know, these kids are seven or eight years old. They yeah. don't have enough life experience to really know that. Right. But that's the way they're communicating. That's the way they're expressing their anxiety, their fear, their doubt. So if we know that, let's in our own minds put the what if on top of that sentence, and then we can respond with empathy. So let's do a hypothetical. Okay. I don't want to go to the pool, mom, because um, I'm not going to have any fun because the other fam- the other cousins ignore me. What if so, I go so, to the Right. So- Give me, if you're not doing this what if exercise, what is the typical response of what a parent who is not in the present moment might respond? It would go a bunch of different ways. Either I can't believe you don't want to go to the pool because you always want to go to the pool. You're always bugging me. Now I can go. Um, don't don't be uh, so hard on yourself. You need to be more confident. Um, go there and make new friends. So annoying. Mm-hmm. Um you know, uh, I can't believe you're not recognizing that I'm taking time out of my schedule to take you to the pool. So we try to attack it from that defensive way. Okay. Like we get offended. So now, same question, but you ask yourself, 
um, the what if in your own brain and how would you respond from that perspective? So if, if our daughters were saying, I don't want to go to the pool because my cousins won't play with me or yeah. won't be nice to me or my friends, the, then I would turn it around and say, what if, I wouldn't say this out loud, this would be in my head, what they're really asking is, what if I go to the pool my cousins all play together and I have no one to be with. Mm -hmm. And so then that's just by just by changing that sentence, right. the energy is calmer. And then I approach them with, um, yeah, you know, I can understand why you would think that way. What are some things you can do if everybody's busy? Got do you it. feel like you could lay out, maybe bring a book? Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to do that too. And so you you don't even have to be problem solving as much as empathetic. Yeah. So what this does, this is a, a tool or a resource to become more empathic. It's Soften. This, it's this simple what if question that you ask in your brain when your kid says something that you think that you're going to react defensively with. Correct. Instead, in your brain put in the words, what if, and see if you soften up your position. I think this, what Heidi writes about here is a really easy way to go from your head to your heart. Uh, because if you listen to their question and you get into defensive mode and you're in your ego and you're focused on what you're doing, then that question is going to be difficult for you. You're going to become offended. You're going to get focused on why, why, why. If you put what if, it gets you out of your head, puts you in your heart, and allows you to be empathetic towards your child's So experience. it's another tool in your toolbox. The what if is one tool. Another tool is we talk about conscious breath or, you know, but this is just exactly. one of many things that we've talked about. We've never talked about the what if though. Well, and I never even thought about it until I read this article. So thank you, Heidi Stevens. Thank you. What else you got? Well, I would like to go to the Emmys last night and I would like you to- Well, the play. Emmys already took place where you cannot go to the <laughs> Emmys. I would like to someday. Do you think we could go to the Emmys someday? Sure. We just got to- Even though we do zero things on TV right now? Well, we can probably participate, but I, I mean, uh, we could probably attend, but I don't know if we will be like- Oh, I don't stage. mean win an award. I don't need to win an Emmy. That's not my path. What I mean is I would like crowd? to be there. Yeah. Just fly to California, buy a ticket, right? No, I think you, it's like an invite only situation. Oh, really? There's yeah. always like a bunch of people at the top I know, screaming. But I think like John Oliver last night when he won, he said basically we flew in our whole staff. Did you know John Oliver won? Did he? Over, for Variety, nice. over Corden, over mm -hmm. Fallon, nice. over, um, you know, he kind of took, you know, John, John Stewart's Stewart place because John Stewart used to win all the time. Wow. Do you remember when Stephen Colbert grabbed John Stewart when he was going on stage mm. because John Stewart won every year? Yes. Anyway, <laughs> I just thought that was so funny. It always sticks in my head. Um, but he said all those people up there are from our staff because mm. they were all screaming. Got it. Maybe he was being funny. Well, we are connected. We have many listeners. Listeners, if you have any connection to get us into any award ceremony, <laughs> email us and we'll take you up on the Put offer. Put me in the corner. Yeah, it doesn't matter. I don't care. Academy Awards, Emmy Awards. Uh-huh, Grammys. Grammys, um, Tonys. Even I would love to see the Tonys. Oh my gosh, I would love it. So yeah, help us out. Actually, Todd and I, I don't know if we've ever told you guys this, we went to see a Friends episode taped. It was Phoebe's wedding. And so Paul Rudd was in it. Yeah. We didn't, I mean, I knew who Paul Rudd was at the time, but he wasn't as big as he is now. And um, we were there watching that be taped for about 12 hours. It took forever. We left early. We had to we leave We were so early. excited to go. And then we got there and to film a 22 minute episode, they tape for like eight plus hours. They do the scene over and over and over. Um, and our seats said um, Lisa Kudrow. That's right. I because know. my friend Brian had contacts, connections. Lisa Kudrow contacts. Anyway. Okay. So 
play this clip. Um, oh, yeah. One of the people, one of the, you guys, if you guys listen to our show, you know that I loved um, The People versus O.J. Simpson this year. I loved it. And I read Marsha Clark's book. I read um, Chris Darden's book. I got really invested, not just in the, it's not about O.J. It's not about that. It's about the human behavior element. Mm. It's about how people interacted with each other, how things got to be the way they were. Right. It's I keep saying to Todd, I can't wait till this election cycle is open and I can read the books about it because how the hell did we get here? Yeah. I mean, I just it, it's like there's so many human behavior pieces that I want to look at. But um, I really appreciated Sarah Paulson, who played Marsha Clark, her acceptance speech, and uh, Todd's going to play it for you. The more I learned about the real Marsha Clark, the more I had to recognize that I, along with the rest of the world, had been superficial and careless in my judgment. And I'm glad to be able to stand here today in front of everyone and tell you I'm sorry. Backstage, E.T. spoke with Sarah about her relationship with Marsha. I know you've gotten to know her a yeah, lot better through this whole process. A good friend, yeah. You said she's different than you imagined. She, you, you pictured the uh, two-dimensional person, and now well, she's I different. Well, I pictured the two-dimensional person because it's what we, it's what we believed and yeah. what we all saw from the trial and what was sort of fed to us via the media at the time. And once I did any uh, further looking, it became very clear what a very, very deep, complicated, wonderful, smart woman she was and what battle she was fighting. So, yeah, it became a very different picture. All right. All right. So why I found that so profound is because, first of all, Sarah Paulson brought Marsha Clark as her date, which yeah. was so cool. Um, and because I think it speaks to what we all do all the time. I think that when that trial was going on, there was so much, you know, press around it and so much publicity around it and so much, you know, what do we call it when everything's on the, the magazine covers, paparazzi around it. Sure. That we decided Marsha Clark was a one-dimensional or two-dimensional person and we just threw titles on her and names on her and we blamed her for that trial not going the way it should and didn't even look at all the other pieces and why and what she was experiencing. Yeah. And, and again, that's part of why I loved this movie was because and the book is because it explains what was going on underneath and it was bigger than any one person. Right. There were so many issues, um, such huge issues that had nothing to do with really anyone involved. Yeah. They were historical. It was it was about LA. Mm -hmm. Um there was so much going on. And I just found that understanding of us being superficial and making someone one-dimensional or two-dimensional or not allowing them to be a whole person, right. that we start to... That's when we dehumanize people. Oh, and we, it's easy to do when you're watching it on TV, right? Oh, yeah. And and we, we it becomes a groupthink. It becomes a mob mentality. We read an article and we say, oh, that person's that. That is why people read the tabloids, because they end up feeling better about themselves by saying, I would never be like those people. Mm -hmm. What we don't understand is those people are just like us. Those people are the ones that are have families. Like Marsha Clark was going through a divorce during this trial. She was trying to keep her two children, trying to get home to her two children, and that was made fun of yeah. by the, the the defense. Am I saying that? And yeah, for sure. And I think the judge was even Judge Ito didn't even like it, right? You know, and the fact that she had to deal with being a well, mother. And there, that once that one specific part of that miniseries. Uh, they changed the timing of when something was going to happen. And Marsh is like, sorry, judge, I, I have to go pick up kids. my kids. 
So it's not like she was irresponsible. She did what was according to the calendar that day. And then the next time she came in, that was made a joke. Yeah. Not to even mention the discussion about her appearance and that people didn't like the way she looked. Does this sound familiar, Todd? I just don't like her. (laughs) Okay. Every time I get into a political discussion with someone and they say to me, and you guys know who I'm talking about here, I just don't like her. I really try and dig in if it's with someone I trust and I respect and say, tell me why. Start to unpack that bag. Mm -hmm. Why do you not like her? And I will respect what you have to say if if there's some things there. But when I ask someone that, the typical response is, well, I just, I don't know. She's a crook and and I've just never liked her and she, she doesn't smile. And these things that we have to look at, you guys, we have to be able to say, am I being superficial in my decision making and the way that I relate to others? Am I being careless in the way that I am deciding to label somebody. And that's not just for the political arena and for the entertainment industry and for a courtroom. That's everywhere. How often do we dehumanize somebody by making them one word? Actually, another article, this, this segues perfectly into this other article in the Tribune who's actually talking about, um, how books can, can, enable our empathy, yeah. how books can help our em- empathy. Did you, have to, did you have to read Sounder? No. Okay. Well, it was uh, an award-winning book, I think a Newbery award-winning book, and most kids did have to read Sounder, at least in, in our generation. And it's, it's a story about uh, an African-American family and a boy and his dog, and it's an empathetic building sure. book, okay? So this person, uh, his name is John Warner. Again, he writes for the Tribune. He's talking about the importance of this book and how it helps us build empathy um, and how when we read the book, we realize we have that empathetic response and we'll think to ourselves, I'm a good person. And but then he said, then he changed course on us and he said, but I was reading a recent Nicholas Nicholas Kristoff column. You you know Nicholas Kristoff, right? No. A phenomenal writer and always kind of bringing uh bringing awareness to often political situations and things going on in our world. He was reading a column of his in the New York Times and it was titled Anne Frank Today is a Syrian girl. Mm. Isn't that powerful? Yeah. He said, and this writer, John Warner says, I suddenly wondered about the limits of empathy as experienced through literature. The Diary of a Young Girl has reportedly sold more than 30 million copies. It is a staple of middle school and high school English English classes. I remember reading it and thinking how if I were in a similar situation, I would protect that family. Of course I would. Mm -hmm. Who wouldn't? How quickly the experience of empathy can turn into a moral authority that is relatively empty. Yeah. Because- what are we saying now about these families? Keep them out of our country because we can't take that many or whatever. We can't take that many. We're not safe. They need to deal with their own stuff. They need to deal with their own yeah, country. Yeah, they need to figure it out. And and again, I don't have, I don't, I'm not political in my working, so I don't know how to do these things. Right. I'm not talking about here's what we do and here's you're, how the You're numbers. trying to raise the level of awareness and awareness. looking at things from a different perspective. I mean, who didn't read the diary of Anne Frank and go, how did they not help that family? Yeah. Or be so impressed yeah. with the people who did help the Frank family right. to be so like enamored with them. Um, 
But anyway, I just thought that was really powerful. And again, that was um, in the Tribune also on Sunday. Um, we'll link to these uh, articles yes. that you're referring to. So. Absolutely. Um, sweet. Can I go to our second partner? Please. John J. Kelly Dentistry. Um, I think we're going to go see him on Columbus Day because uh, Skylar, my youngest, is about ready to start getting some... Mm. Orthodontic work? Yeah, I don't know. He's a dentist, but he does the orthodontic work. Oh, yeah, work. for sure he does. He just does it in a different way. Yeah, and you know, uh, it's funny because Dr. Kelly holds certificates in neuromuscular orthodontics and craniomandibular pathophysiology. I have that too. Yeah, I think I have a few of those certificates <laughs> too. So anyways, John Kelly, look him up, chicagodentistonline.com. He is an expert in the field, and he's right here in Chicago. So check him out. Uh, where are we going next? Well, I, I have another thing that I think you might enjoy. Sure. Because I think you might appreciate it again. Oh, and I was going to give you a few what-if questions. Okay, please. That, that aren't necessarily related to what we're talking about. They're just fun. Okay. What if your salary tripled, but you had to work at McDonald's? Would you do it? My, well, I wouldn't just because salary is not something that motivates me. It has nothing to do with the McDonald's part, but salary doesn't really motivate me. What if you could accomplish anything, but you had to sacrifice time, sweat, and tears to make it? Would you do it? Time, sweat, and tears? Yeah. Sure. All right. Very good. So I think I already have. Haven't you? What if you have a bag of chips that never gets empty, but you will never be loved? Um, I think I'd choose the love over the bag of chips. All right. Very good. There's. What if everyone you get attracted to are attracted to you? Oh, there's a spoiler word in this one. <laughs> I didn't vet this. What if you never sleep longer than five hours a night, but you can craft and control your dreams every night? You know what? I feel like I've been doing that lately. Because you're magnesium? Yes. What's magnesium? Ladies who are my age, uh, we tend to ha not have enough magnesium in our body. Um, and it's just one of those things as you get older that you try and make sure you're getting enough of. Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I'm like doing like an ad for magnesium. But anyway... I have been just doing a little bit of magnesium every night in my tea, um, and it gives me the most crazy vivid dreams ever. Right. I mean, really. And so I guess I'm not crafting them, but dude, they are like, in talk about three-dimensional or two-dimensional. What, what is the right dimension? One dimension? What is- The fourth, sweetie. The what? The fourth. The fourth what? Dimension. Well, when I say one-dimensional person, that means just flat, Right. Right. And two dimensional. I think uh, two dimensional is like, you know, one dimensional is like whatever, up and down, two dimensional is left and right, Got three it. dimensional is front and back. Got it. Got it. And then fourth dimension is time. Got it. I don't really know that to be true. But. Okay. Well, so going back to the what if, like, because I was going to jump to the next thing, um, talking about Marsha Clark or talking about Hillary Clinton or talking about just somebody that annoys you in your own town or someone that you've just decided you've just dehumanized them by giving them a, a label. Right. Um, what if you're not right? What if you actually took the time to read or understand who these people are at the most human level and it's not about comparing yourself to them or even comparing them to others. It's about what if you recognize them as a human being who are trying to do things either good for the world or what they think is good. I feel like when we make these judgments, it's uh, it's convenient to make the judgments. We of don't course. have to challenge ourselves in, in understanding an issue any deeper than we do. It's just quicker. And I think that's why 
it happens. Well, and like uh, we know now statistically is people only watch things that reconfirm what they believe. So for example, you know, that's why we have Fox News and MSNBC. When I say that's why we have them, I don't think this is good or healthy. But what ends up happening is people who believe in a Fox News way will only watch Fox News and people who believe in an MSNBC way only watch that. And I think there's something valuable to reading more than that and seeing more than that and getting a bigger picture of what's going on. Well, freaking Economics is a podcast and a book, but that's why I love that because yes. the whole mission of Freakonomics is not to throw up a bunch of stats on a teleprompter or whatever or on a TV screen, and then that will justify your argument. Freakonomics delves into the authenticity of everything. It looks at every corner of yeah. the argument. Todd, um, Todd has loved Freakonomics for a long time, and he's he introduced it to me just over the last couple of months, and I listen all the time because it is like a f- breath of fresh air. Yeah. Because what they do is they look at something from every angle, so you see the big picture, and you're not trying to just take a position. Well, it's kind of like uh, the websites like Snopes and all that, yes. where they are, you know, factcheck.org. Right. Like, We're not using that enough lately. Yeah. Arc. <laughs> Jeez. So anyways, yeah, I like when there's no agenda. I mean, I watch more MSNBC than I do any other news channel probably, but even they have an agenda. Every, of course. Those guys all have agendas. We were just having a conversation with a friend this morning about how you know things are so money-driven and that even though we know that journalists should be fact-checking information, they should be deciding what they make a lead story based on what's best for the country or best for people and giving us a full picture of everybody, they go to the story that, that has the most viewership because that's how they get the most money. Well, and we, you and I, I kind of surrendered to this, but you and I have struggled with that because... There's a headline of a podcast for one of our shows that could be viewed as controversial, and I think that we would get more clicks. And you are the one that says, nope, that doesn't feel right. Because people title something with the hopes that somebody's going to click on it. Clickbait. Yes, clickbait. So and so what Todd is saying is that he sometimes wants to to label stir it up. our shows in a – give a headline that has a sex and violence kind of feel. Exactly. And I won't do that. So the last few titles of our podcast is Dealing with Pain, Grow in the Familiarity of Your Interiors. Loved that one. Rituals and Change, Three People You Need to Know, A Very Brady Podcast, Give Up Control. Why are you reading all these? Because they're authentic, yet I don't think that that it's it's – meant it doesn't have what we just talked about which is that catchy controversial like there's nothing controversial give up control it's not that controversial and it might lead towards less people clicking on this podcast but you don't care i don't care uh-uh. And, and that's I, and why you are my grounding <laughs> in all this because i am always trying to increase numbers and blah 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 and you're like no, it doesn't feel right. Well, that's not the title of the podcast. Like there's something there's so But it could be. There's something so valuable about just the truth. What is this podcast about? It's about this. Mm-hmm. And I understand that then maybe someone that loves controversial things won't click on it, but is that the audience we're reaching for? We actually got a great review the other day from this these people in Germany. That's right. And they're like, just so you know, lots of people in Germany are listening. You're you're blowing my um I was going to mention our iTunes. Oh, could you do it now since I opened that door? All right. Let me pull it up. Tick-tock, tick-tock, because we're going to do a listener's question too. iTunes review, Germany is listening. 
and it's from somebody named Kopinski from Germany. Thanks for the great podcast. Love the content, the dialogues, the motto, everything. Keep up the good work. You got fans in Germany. Well, Germany, thank you so much for listening. It means the world to us. And if you ever have a question or anything, comments at zenparentingradio.com. We and, appreciate it. And if uh, you did not write that review, which is the other 99.9% of the people listening to this, you can go ahead and write a review and maybe we'll read it on air. Yes, and, and appreciate it. Because that's a way that we increase our listeners. But that feels right to you. Well, that feels right because that's somebody's who is listening being affected by the show and then they're sharing with someone else. Just like my favorite form of marketing is if someone likes the show and then they tell their friends, I love that. But me going out there and telling everybody how great we are and putting out all these words and like saying, we're going to give you you know, 10 books if you listen. And there's something, I'm not saying there's something wrong with marketing. I understand the business side of marketing. I understand why people do it and why it works. I'm not saying it's wrong. I'm saying it doesn't feel right to to me. Right. So those of you who are like, but that's how I've gotten my business going, more power to you. Keep doing it. Yeah. It's not a right or wrong. But the only thing I think that you would say to those people is if it does go against your innate essence. Then that's, that can be a challenge. Then that could be a challenge. There, you have to, whatever intention you start with is the intention that will you will feel while you're doing it and will be your end result. Yeah. If your intention that you start with is I just need to be famous, you may end up being famous, but maybe not for the reasons that you hoped. Yeah. And if your intention is I would like to talk about what I love, which is really what for me it's a it's a win-win because I just get to I just am in heaven when we're talking about these things. We also get to share really helpful information. We also build a community, um, and you and I get to connect always about deep things. Sure, it's win-win-win-win-win, and that's the intention. And then I have joy in that. Whatever comes from that is just icing. Yeah, do you see what I mean? I do. And it's the gravy. It's the gravy. So, um, so we're quite a few minutes into this podcast. Is there any? Well, I've got three more things from the Tribune, but if you would rather go to the question, go uh, ahead. Okay. Yeah. So this is a listener's question. I thought it was a good one, um, and I've really um, compressed it to make it easier for us on the show. But it's. Uh, I don't know if I'm supposed to say her name, so I won't. Okay. I have four children under the age of eight. I love the idea of sitting with my child or holding them while they are crying out of sadness, frustration, envy, anxiety, anger, etc. But I'm finding it's not easy when there are other siblings, responsibilities, or even my own emotional needs that are present simultaneously. And I'll give you one example. She actually gives us three pretty good examples, but I'll just give you one. Okay. Uh, an eight-year-old has an emotional buildup resulting from some school frustration. She breaks down and starts to cry, and I offer my support by holding her. Then her five-year-old sister sees this attention. I'm giving the eight-year-old, and she starts to whine and cry and wail for me to hold her too. Could you give me? Could giving your kids special attention when they are releasing emotionally be reinforcing disingenuous emotion or whining or tantrum throwing? How could I handle a sibling who suddenly wants the same attention, who deliberately whines and cries to get it? Well. I think there it's a, it's a great question, um, but I don't. I think that it's all of that's okay and normal. It, let me start. Let me back up with this. I beep, actually beep, beep. <laughs> thank you for not playing that. Um, I actually had a question uh, from somebody um, a couple weeks ago, someone that I work with, and she was talking about how difficult it can be when she's at home and with her kids, and she's really bored. Mm-hmm. And she said, "How do I not make it boring? How do I not? How do I not make it that way?" 
And my answer to her was, obviously, there's some very literal things that, you know, you can do some more practical things. But I said, there's an embracing that sometimes raising kids is boring. And that if you just know that. And when I say boring, I don't mean there's, you know, no crisis ever. What I mean is sometimes things are very still. Day in, day out. Day in, day monotony. out. Exactly. And that if we accept that as normal, then we're not fighting against it shouldn't be this way. Right. And if then when we're bored, we can actually keep our minds open rather than focus on, oh my gosh, it shouldn't be this way. How do I keep it from being this way? This is a problem. We instead say, oh, this so, is exactly where so I'm So what you're be. saying is surrender to the idea that there are parts of being a full-time mom or full-time dad that are boring. They're just boring. And you don't need, it's not a problem to fix. Mm-hmm. Why I thought of that one when you read that is because when you give, when you're working with one, you know, raising young children and one child is getting attention, it's very normal that another child is going to be like, oh my gosh, it looks so great and so warm and so cuddly. And I would like attention too. And it doesn't mean they're being disingenuous. It doesn't mean that it's a problem to solve, nor does it mean that you have to manipulate them into thinking differently. What it means is it just is. And that you can be empathetic in that. And when you are holding your eight-year-old and she's having a hard time and the five-year-old comes along, if you have an extra arm, you can put it out and say, I know, I know. Sweetie, she's got four kids. She needs four arms. Right. And then put out a leg and then put out... There's a reality to having four kids. We have three kids and when, you know... There's a reality to having three where I didn't have an extra hand. And instead of thinking that that is a um, – and what and I'm, I'll get to deeper into the question because I know that's not it. What I'm trying to do is set the stage for is this a problem? Yeah. I don't think it is. I think there's a normalcy in it and that you can hold one child and say to the other child um, – I'm right here with you, and when your sister's feeling a little better, we're going to have a big hug. And then the yeah, but will be, yeah, but she won't listen to me because she's five and she's trying to interrupt. Correct. Right. And there's a normalcy to a five-year-old yeah. wanting her needs met right then and there because she doesn't have the frustration tolerance to wait. Mm. There's the Patience hasn't been developed. You know how we develop patience? By practicing practicing being patient. So she's still in that place. So really what the work is always is us. Not how we're going to do it perfectly and have one kid on each leg and, you know, each each limb. It's how can we stay calm and empathetic toward each of them regardless of their behavior. Right. Now let me give you another reality. We're not always going to do it well. Right. She may respond one day very empathetically to that five-year-old and the next day say, I can't do this right now. Right. And guess what she is? Normal. Human. Yeah. And what we need to know is that instead of thinking I'm a problem, this is a problem, my kids are a problem, my parenting's a problem, to roll and flow with that and always come, come back to compassion for myself, compassion for them, I have a multitude of opportunities to do this differently or again in this same day. So instead of getting down on myself, I will do my best to be with my child when they're releasing and support my other child who may be a little jealous or envious and understand where they're coming from. So this is the end of her third scenario, which I won't say, but this is the end of it. She says, what do you suggest when your emotional needs butt up directly against your children's? When there is a moment that you just need some space to cry or meditate or otherwise feel your feelings and clear your head, but then your child needs you in that same moment too. It happens all the time. It happened to me last night. 
Um, I What we can do in that scenario is our best in that given moment. What that means is sometimes a child's emotional needs are so large that we do have to do some absorbing for the moment and attend to that child. For example, if I'm in the middle of a cry and I'm just like, I need space, and then my daughter outside falls off her scooter, then it's very obvious that I need to take a breath and go out there and help her because she's been physically hurt. Last night, I was sitting in my chair exhausted, okay? Or maybe this was Saturday night after our long day. Yeah. I was I had been with the kids all day. I was exhausted. I just needed no one to talk to me. And my middle daughter came in and wanted to talk about a TV show with oh, me. Oh yeah. And she's been watching this TV show and she really needs to talk about it because there's a lot of info in there that she really is trying to go deep into the characters. And and if I'm in a good place, I can listen. Wonder why she doesn't bug me about that. <laughs> and it's probably because one, I'm not as good of a listener as you are, and two, Depth of character sounds more in your territory. And she learns about people through these shows. Again, you know, we were talking about with Devorah last week about how technology can be helpful. She is becoming like a human behavior, you know, observer mm-hmm. because she's like these characters and why, blah, blah. Anyway, I said to her when she came up to me and said, Mom, I have to talk to you about blah, 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 blah. And I was just taking my moment alone and I said to her, I don't have, I don't have space to do it. I said, I got to sit here and chill and in the morning... I will talk about that show. I will even watch one with you, but I can't do it now. Guess what, Todd? She was disappointed. Yeah. That didn't end with us hugging and going, okay, mom. Right. She was Sometimes disappointed. It ends crappy. And she walked out the door and went back out to you. Yeah. Remember? She went to plan B. She went to plan, well, big not plan Ella, B. Big, big daddy <laughs> Um, But she, and so why I'm saying this is that a lot of times we'll say, well, I want it to end where everybody understands. And, and it's it doesn't not gonna always happen. happen. Most of the time it's not going to happen. But what we can do so we keep our integrity and we don't end up feeling regretful afterwards is let's not shame them into thinking that they shouldn't have asked the question. Because right. that's something we have control over. Yes. We don't have control over whether or not this ends beautifully, but we do have control over whether or not we shame them. Exactly. Or shame ourselves where when she walks out the door, I say to myself, I'm a bad mom. Right. And just so you guys know, I didn't do that because I was fine with, with yeah, being by you myself. you were at peace. I, I don't like that she wanted me and I wasn't emotionally available in that moment. But what I do know is the majority of the time I am and can be. So that's called doing our best at any given time. So in answer to her question, I want you to know, what's, you didn't give me her name, but I'll just say to her, first of all, you're not alone and the things you're experiencing are so normal and there isn't like a right or wrong. You're not doing anything harmful. What you're experiencing is ha- having to handle a lot of different emo- different emotional needs, including your own, at one time. And what you need to do is, in that moment, figure out which emotional needs need it, need to be attended to the most in that moment, and then move on to the next. Sweetie, you are the spiritual and emotional mom. I'm the logical and practical. So let's dad. hear what you want to say. Um, my logical and practical solution for this nice mom is to get help. She's got four under the age of eight. I mean, that's enough to drive anybody up a wall. Well, she may have help. Get more help. Okay. Okay, so I'm not done. Okay. Get help, though. Oh, but uh, we can't afford it. Oh, right? I see where you're going. And so then prioritize where your money goes. Maybe you don't take that vacation this Christmas and you spend at home, but you use that money to give yourself three extra hours a week or whatever. There's always, there's always things you can do. 
Um, and you have to come at a mindset of how am I going to help solve this real problem? Like this is a real life, not problem, but see, I don't, challenge. I don't see it as a problem. I see it as a challenge. Okay. Okay. You, you insert whatever word you want. Got it. And I think that be resourceful and get your husband involved or your mom involved or your dad involved or your whoever to help you troubleshoot these things. Because everything you said is absolutely valid and probably more useful than what I'm providing, which is very practical saying, get some help because she's pulling her hair out, which most full-time moms with four kids under the age of eight do. You bet, you bet. And get, take time for yourself and get some more support and figure out a way to do that. Because a lot of times like, well, I can't afford it. And then they're like, they spend the next two years complaining about it. And she's not complaining. She's asking no, for she's support. Asking I want to be clear on that. But think out of the box. Because a lot of times it's easier just to throw your hands up. Instead, think out of the box. That's all. Right. And you're right, Todd. There are some self-care practical solutions. And because we don't have her actual situation and day and you know, we're just getting this as a as a question about emotional needs. Mm-hmm. I don't know what those practical solutions would be for her, but absolutely making yourself a priority is essential because there is no way we can be patient or empathetic toward our children if we are completely full and burned out all the time. We're pulling from a completely dry well. Yeah. And so to Todd's point, if you can even just once a week not be with four kids or for half of a day, not be with four kids, you will have more to pull from in those challenging moments. But I will also say that there are times, I think another part of her question was about being in Target or being in a grocery Mm -hmm. store and um, having, you know, what do you do when a child has a meltdown and you can't go outside? Right, because you got a kid, you got got an infant in the grocery cart. Then you don't. See, here's the thing, is, is that a lot of times we're like, well, give me the solution for this scenario, for this scenario, for this scenario. What you have to do, the, the thing that I can give you for every scenario is self-compassion. Mm. Is That'll always be that available. That will always be available is this is hard. You know, another thing I can give you, humor. Mm-hmm. Instead of thinking, oh my gosh, everybody's looking at me. You know, my child is having a meltdown. Laugh because it's funny. Not at your child, no. but at how challenging this is. This is ridiculous. This what is what ridiculous. does my life become? I'm sitting on the floor <laughs> with a toddler and an infant in a grocery cart. And you can be... Isn't this an awfully embarrassing experience? Sure. Or you could just laugh at it. And it's both together, right? You laugh at the awful, embarrassing experience. And I guarantee the people in the grocery store, I mean, you might get some mean looks, but the majority of the people who have had kids be like, been "Been there. there. Do you know how often I walk by people and say, been there? Like not to, I'm not trying to correct anything. I'm not trying to judge or even give them a solution. I just want to normalize that stress that they're feeling. And usually we have a smile and a laugh. And then you have had these experiences now with these four kids and you are going to be a rock for other people who go through this. This is a, these are, I'll use Todd's words, these are real challenges, but they aren't necessarily problems. They just are. And if you feel that there's red flags, like a child who's hurting themselves or hurting others or hurting you, or you don't have the tools or capacity, then to Todd's point, absolutely ask for some help. There's no do shame. Both. Do what Kathy said and then do what I said. Yeah, do it all. Um, all right. So our last partner is Jeremy Kraft from Avid Company, uh, avidco.net, painting and remodeling throughout the Chicagoland area. Parting wisdom, my sweet dear. What if there were other solutions? What if people actually really enjoyed being around you when you think you're boring? What if 
life is bigger than what you think it is? What if you're actually just fine and belong here and you're okay? What, what if? Those are the questions that we need to ask ourselves. Instead of thinking we know, what if we don't know? What if we kept on trucking? That would be a good idea. So go ahead and do that. Just keep trucking. Okay. Adios. Have a good week. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it, and we hope you'll join us next time. If you're a fan of Zen Parenting Radio, consider leaving us a review on iTunes. This helps people find us. You can also just tell a friend about our show. That's our favorite kind of marketing. Todd and I do speaking engagements about Zen Parenting and self-awareness, so if you have an interested group or organization, contact us at comments at zenparentingradio.com. And get your early bird tickets for our big Let's Get Real Zen Parenting Conference February 24th and 25th at the Westin in Lombard. Todd and I will be speaking Friday night, and we have Rob Bell, Rosalind Wiseman, and Ali Smith as our keynotes on Saturday. If you want to know more about self-awareness or conscious parenting, pick up one of Kathy's award-winning books at zenparentingradio.com or Amazon. If you're a guy, I have two resources for you. I coach guys. It's called Coaching for Guys. (laughs) On the phone, Skype, or in person, we set goals together and come up with a plan to meet those goals. The website is toddadamscoaching.com. And we also have a monthly men's group. So if you're looking for a group of men to have authentic conversations with, check out the tribemensgroup.com. If you ever shop on Amazon, you can help us out by first going through the Amazon link on our homepage. It doesn't cost anything to you, but we get a small commission from Amazon. If you want an amazing vehicle to teach your kids about money management, go to the lower right-hand side of our homepage and click on the FAMZOO logo and enter Zen Finance as a promo code. I want to give a special thanks to our three partners, Tree of Life Chiropractic Care, John J. Kelly Dentistry, and Avid Painting and Remodeling. Thanks for your love and support. Keep on trucking. Check to the check to the... Oh, wait, I'm not ready. I oh, don't you're not? my microphone. Oh, okay. Do, 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 do. No. Here we go. My name's Todd. Who's this? I'm not ready. How much more time do you need? Yeah, just hold on. I'm not even like... Do you want me to turn it up? No. Can you (laughs) stop? Sweetie, this will be the bloopers. We'll share this in the bloopers section. Well, I'm just not ready. Give me like one second. One. Two. One minute. Oh. Okay. Got rid of that. You hear me eating granola? Yes. Don't do that because that's really not. That's I think we're going to play this on the end of the show for like Ferris Bueller. Remember at the end of Ferris Bueller, like there's when he tells them everybody to go away. Go home. Go home. You're so, still here. So I'll put this at the end of the show. No, you don't need. Why to not? Do that. Yeah, I think we will. I don't think people care. Oh, I think people are going to. There's going to be a few people that say thank you for doing that. No, what a gift. Say that. What a gift. There will be zero people that say that. I will bet you there will be at least one person that acknowledges that we have. Put this Easter okay. egg at the end of the well, show. Well, it's not an Easter egg. Sweetie, That's not what an Easter, it's an Easter egg is. Egg. <laughs> it's not an Easter Hold on, egg. I'm eating more granola. Easter egg is when you do a show, or it's usually on TV, so you can see it. It's a visual thing. There's an audio Easter egg because we're looking for Easter eggs. It's where there's something in the background or something happening exactly. that alludes to another time or another person. This alludes that to that. Connects everything. That's what this and is. And only people who watch really closely would find. How many people listen to the end of our closing credits? I don't know, but this isn't. There's nothing Easter. This is, a, this is an Easter egg. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, are we ready? Yes. All right. No chewing.